Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 73. I took a couple of weeks off in these first few crisis weeks to sort out my family and get my feet underneath me and uh, kind of reorient myself to this new normal. And I, I feel I feel ready to jump back in with you guys and do my best to resource you and equip you in this time. Uh, it's sort of that put on your own oxygen mask first before helping others situation for me. So thank you for your patience over the last two weeks. I hope you really enjoyed the episode with Jerome Libbard, uh, all about the psychology of Jesus, uh, brain-based Enneagram and more. Go back and listen to that if you missed it. Today's episode is a sermon that I preached two Sundays ago at my church uh, over uh, Facebook Live, all about emotions, why God gave them to us and what they help us do and how to deal with some of the strongest, scariest emotions that many of us are facing right now in this COVID-19 crisis. So we talk about fear, we talk about anger, we talk about sadness. I provide a scientific background for what emotions are, and then some really practical tools on how to deal with them, how to hear God in them, and how to lean in. So please enjoy this. May you learn something and uh, and reach out to me. I'm, I'm going live every day on Instagram, on YouTube, on Facebook, on Periscope, uh, even on Twitch. So uh, each morning about 9.30 Eastern, I, I go live and I share kind of a reflection and a prayer for the day. So tune in. Let me know where you're at. Let me know what you're struggling with. Let me know what your own communities aren't resourcing you with, and I'll do my best to resource you here. I know this is a hard time. I know that this is not forever. But it looks like it may be for the long haul. So I think it's wise of us to adapt and to start to work on what we can do while here. So over the next who knows how long, I'll be interviewing other guests specifically around this crisis and topics that are helpful to you right now where you're at. Thank you so much for being with me, and let's get into this. So emotions, what do we what are they? Why do we have them? How do you deal with them? Are they good? Are they bad? Are some good? Are some bad? Uh I spent uh the for all, all but probably the last 2 years of my life with the understanding that anger was sinful. Anger was fundamentally a bad thing. That's what I believed. That's what I was uh raised to believe uh because that's what my mother believed and that's what she was raised to believe and so those things just passed on down. But as I uh, experienced pretty severe depression for a couple of years and began to excavate my depression, what I discovered underneath my depression was actually anger that had never been expressed before. It's like, it's like depression is like anger without the enthusiasm. And so as I dug into my anger and tried to understand what it was that I was angry about, what I found underneath the anger was actually sadness and grief. And so I discovered, actually, I know very little about my emotional framework. I'm an emotional guy. I have big emotions. I'm emotionally expressive. But I don't know what they mean. I don't know what they're for. And I think I've actually kind of been driven by my emotions, like a child driving the car for most of my life. And surely that's not an ideal scenario. So uh, that propelled me on this journey to discover a lot more about my emotions, and that's what I'm going to share about with you today. And the, the quote I want to drop for you to have in your heads 
as as we get started is from a guy named Pete Scazzaro, who is a, a really wonderful pastor from New York City. And he said, you can't be spiritually healthy if you're not emotionally healthy. So I want you to chew on that as we dig in. Can you be spiritually healthy without being emotionally healthy? I don't believe you can. I, I completely agree with that soundbite. Um, so let's talk a little bit of science first off. What are your emotions? Uh, physically, biologically, what actually are they? It's really fascinating. They're a mixture of a whole bunch of different things that happen all at once and happen really quickly. The very first thing that happens is at the, at the base, at the top of your neck, base of your brain in there is a part of your brain called the amygdala. And, uh, it's a, a lot of different creatures have an amygdala. Uh, and it's kind of like one of the more primitive, basic survival level pieces of the brain. And uh, I should also say that, that everything in your brain is super interconnected. So I'm going to talk about the amygdala, I'm talk about the left brain and the right brain, but understand it's not quite as delineated as that because every part of your brain makes like tens upon thousands of connections to every other part of your brain. The amount of connections taking place inside your head is like the number of stars in the universe, which is incalculably vast. So understand that what God has given us is an incredibly, um, I don't know even the, the, the words, it's an incredibly incredible <laughs> package of our brain and how it works. So one of the jobs of the amygdala is to keep you alive. And it, what it does is it processes everything that comes in, everything you see, you hear, you feel with your hands. All of your sensory data gets processed through your amygdala before it goes anywhere else. And what your amygdala is asking is, does this feel safe? Does it feel scary? Do I need to respond uh, to keep Jonathan or you alive? That's its job. It keeps you alive. It's one of the most remarkable pieces of your brain. But that's all it does. It's very, very simple and uh, kind of primitive, kind of rudimentary. It's not connecting with all your, your clever thoughts or all of your memories. Uh, it can access those, but on itself, it's just asking like safety, survival, safety, survival. That's all it's doing. And so uh, what happens is, uh, let's say I pull up uh, my phone and I read some comic, some web comic that I, I like. Well, what happens is my eyes take that data in and my amygdala is processing it before anything else. And it will trigger uh, various sensations in my body. So uh, let's say I've read this comic. It's, it's, it's funny. Uh, well, my body will start to laugh. That's the very first thing that happens. The amygdala triggers the physical response in the body. Uh, and so, so that may be different, right? Let's say uh, somebody, you log into Facebook and you see a notification from someone uh, and immediately your shoulders get tight and your belly starts to churn. That's, that's your amygdala seeing the data that you just received, that you saw that person's name that they noticed that they commented on something and already it started to make your body prepare to respond. Uh, it's what keeps you safe when there's a bear chasing you and your body is like, I've got to get out of here right now. It's the amygdala that fills your body with chemicals and allows you to suddenly gain strength that you didn't have, uh, move faster than you could before. 
but it also does these really simple things. So when somebody that you have a complicated emotional history with comes in and uh, enters your space and your belly starts to churn and your shoulders get tight, it's your amygdala that's done that because it's preparing your body to respond. Now, the rest of your brain is always looking to create meaning. It always wants to understand what's happening in your life. And so your brain will then look at your body and go, oh, something's just happened in the body. What's happened and why did it happen? Your brain is going to go, Jonathan's guts just started churning and his shoulders got tight. Why, why did that happen? What just happened before that? Oh, that person that he has a complicated emotional history with walked into the room. Well, that person is calling on his phone, and he can see their name is the one ringing. What did he feel like last time this person called them? Ah, he was feeling the same feeling in his body. And what happened last time? Did it go well or did it not go well? It didn't go well. Well, then we need to get out of here. And so your brain will then flood your body with the chemicals that you need to react as, as appropriate, to flee, to fight, to just kind of freeze up, whatever, whatever is relevant to the context. So all of that happens in like the blink of an eye. Your amygdala receives the input and then makes something happen in your body. And then your brain looks at your body and says, what is going on? Why is this happening? How should we respond? And then fills your body with chemicals. Uh, and so all of this happens really, really quickly. And taken together, that's what creates our feelings. That's what creates our emotions. That's how it actually works in the body. And so one of the huge takeaways of that is no emotions are sinful. It's just information. It's a physical, uh, biological, neurological, chemical process that God built into our bodies. Why? To keep us alive. To keep us responding to circumstances around us as we need to. So no emotions are sinful. Emotions aren't good or bad. A lot of people use the language like positive emotions for things like happiness and negative emotions for things like anger. I don't even like to use that language anymore because negative implies like badness maybe. And so I'm like every single thing, the, the emotional output of a human heart is good. It may propel me towards actions that maybe aren't good, but the emotional, mental, chemical content of my body is simply information and biology. There's no righteousness connected with it. Righteousness is all about my actions and what I go and do with those thoughts. And, 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 and yes, there's an aspect of thought life that's righteousness, but it's those thoughts that we nurture, those thoughts that we hold on to, those thoughts that we feed. Uh, the emotional process is not a righteousness thing, uh, but it can have a major impact on our righteousness, as you're already probably thinking. So that's the first step to understand that the emotions happen in the mind and the body, and it's just information. Now, your emotions cannot lie to you. Uh, this is what's really fascinating, is that they they are just trying to feed you the information that you need to know about your circumstances, about your heart state, and about the world immediately around you. 
That is what they're doing, and they cannot lie to you. Your body can't tell tricks like that. It has no reason to do so. Uh, but it's operating on incomplete information. If you are uh, scouting out uh, a home and you are looking to buy a house, uh, it's a pretty good idea to have an inspection done on the home because there may be things behind the walls that you don't know about. There may be mold. There may be uh, structural issues. You wouldn't buy that home with incomplete information. You would do the best you could to learn everything that you could. That would be wise. That would be, you know, sensible. The facts on the sell sheet that you get from the real estate agent are probably not false, right? They are probably all true in terms of the square footage and the other, uh, the number of rooms, the number of bathrooms, but they're not complete information. They're not telling you everything that you need to know that's behind the walls, everything that's, that's hidden from you. And that is what happens to us when we feel emotions. Uh, one of the most fascinating parts, things about our brain, about our amygdala especially, is that it can prioritize different parts of the brain to keep us alive. So when you go through some really strong emotional process, maybe you've experienced when you get triggered, when something happens to you, like a level two thing happens to you, but you have like a level 10 reaction, and you're kind of like, oh, wow, what just happened? What just took over? Um, my spouse kind of asked me something and, and it wasn't maybe that kind, but I like ratcheted up my intensity. Uh, and then they ratcheted up their intensity. And the next thing you know, we're like screaming at each other. Why does that happen? Well, there's a really easy brain reason for why it happens. Uh, because your left part of the brain, which is responsible for cognitive thought, for advanced thought, for knowing right from wrong, for understanding time, for all the things that we think about when we think about thinking. The left side of the brain does that, and it does it slow. The right side of the brain, where your, where your memories and your emotions tend to live, uh, is actually faster. And so what happens is your amygdala, when you get uh, tipped into a survival uh, scenario, which actually happens in your brain all the time, uh, and I'll explain why, what it does is it shuts off the left side of your brain because it's too slow and it's not helpful in keeping you alive. It's not helpful in running away from bears. It's not helpful in uh, lifting cars to rescue a crushed person. Uh, and that's the level of intensity that your amygdala operates with most of the time. So it shuts off the left side of your brain and all you're left with is the right side and the back, which basically is your memories and your feelings and they don't have the awareness of time. That part of your brain can't sequence time and events. It's all happening right now. Which explains why when, you know, your, your spouse comes in, uh, as an example, and speaks to you in a certain way, and, and maybe that was a way that your father or your mother spoke to you when you were a child, and all of a sudden you're back there as a, as a little child, terrified of a big person uh, speaking to you unkindly. Uh, it feels real. It feels like you're right there in the moment. Well, that's because to that part of your brain, it is real. It's always been that real. It doesn't understand that time has moved on and that you're no longer a child. And so uh, your left side of the brain isn't fully offline in every emotion, but especially in stronger emotions, it tends to go offline. And so uh, you're left with incomplete information and you're left with historical data. And so you're left going, oh, 
well, the last time this happened with this person, this is exactly what happened. And so that's why we end up saying things like, you always do this to me. You always say this to me. If we were calm and collected and had our rational brain online, we would know that's not true. We know they don't always say that. We know that that people have all kinds of things that they say and do to us. Uh, I, I could say, I always laugh at this webcomic. It's hilarious every single time. But that's not true. There are times when comics that I love are not that funny. But when you're stuck in your ment- in your emotional side, uh, you don't have access to the logic. You don't have access to the history. It all feels very current, and it all feels right now. Like I said, your emotions can't lie to you. They're not trying to deceive you, but they only have some of the information available. And so the action that you feel propelled to take, which is, again, what emotions do, they, they inform us about our circumstances, and then they move us to action which is really good. It's, again, part of the way God designed us. But if we operate on incomplete information, we will take actions that may be unwise, uh, unloving, unkind, actions that will damage us and damage those around us that we care about. Uh, You know, to continue our analogy, we may buy a house that actually isn't structurally sound. Uh, The data on the sheet had the right square footage and the right number of bedrooms that we were looking for but there was information we didn't have. So we need to learn about that information. So let's talk about some emotions specifically. And I want to talk about fear as the first one, because I don't know about you guys, but I uh, have a lot of fear, Uh, not constantly, and I'm not nurturing it, uh, but it's there. It's kind of underneath everything else. some people can pick up a lot of emotions in other people. I'm like that. I, I'm quite empathic. When I go to the grocery store, I can feel all the fear all around me. And it's intense, right? It's, it's, it's not nice. Uh, none of us love feeling fear. Uh, so here's the key on fear. Fear, very simply, is the emotion you feel when you are threatened. That's what fear, fear is. When you are threatened, you feel fear. And the reason that God gave us fear is to keep us from danger, to keep us alive, so that the gift of ourselves that he gave us, we would steward, that we would protect. It's a it's a wonderful gift. He gave it to us and created it for us in order that we could value that which he gave us, ourselves, our own lives, and the lives of those around us. Uh, when, when we experience fear, we see the object or the scenario as a threat. And so... That's what we want to figure out. Is this actually a threat or not? Uh, Maybe when we were five years old, this scenario was a threat and our life was on the line. Now that we're a grown adult, maybe it's not a threat anymore. We don't need to beat ourselves up for thinking it is a threat because once it was a threat. But today we get to choose how we respond. So, I mean, coronavirus, let's just talk practically. Is it a threat? Yeah. Yeah, it's a threat. Especially if you're in an at-risk category, especially if you're immunocompromised or you have an existing respiratory illness or you have cancer, that's a threat. Now, if you're, uh, so, so then you choose how to respond wisely, right? You don't live out of a constant fear driving you, but you make wise decisions. Is it immediate pertinent threat like, uh, something more visceral? No, it's not. It's not about to break into my door and steal my money. Uh, so 
I'm going to treat it with the right level of fear, not uh, an irrational, crazy anxiety that rules my life. Um, uh, I, I love uh, Luke chapter uh, 2, verse 10. You don't have to read the whole story, but, but Luke 2, when, when the angels are proclaiming the arrival of Jesus, what they say, uh, some of you have already probably gone there in your mind, do not be afraid. The angel says it to, I think, to Mary, to Joseph. Um, it, it happens over and over. Actually, even all throughout the Old Testament as well. Do not be afraid. Uh, why would God say that? Because he knows that, that we're going to perceive God as a threat. He knows we have fear. He gave it to us in the first place. Uh, and so he knows that we're going to freak out and be like, ah! You know, if God didn't value our own emotions, then we'd be afraid on the floor, freaking out, groveling, and God would be like, weird. Why is he on the floor? What a loser. But God knows that that his awesomeness is going to be uh, interpreted by us probably first of all as a threat. And so he comes and he says, do not be afraid. I have good news. Which to me is just amazing that the whole proclamation of the gospel begins with, do not be afraid. Uh, to me, there's compassion in there, right? There's grace for our natural tendency to keep ourselves alive and to be afraid, uh, a tendency that God gave us in the first place. Uh, so that's fear. Let's talk about anger. Anger, this boggled my mind when I first learned this, and it's so simple. Anger is the emotion you feel when you have been violated or blocked. Simple as that. That's what anger is. It's the emotion you feel when you have been violated or blocked, hindered. And so uh, what anger does is it reveals our expectations. It tells us what we thought was going to happen or what we really hoped wouldn't happen. Uh, when, when those things that were uh, that we really didn't want to happen or that we were looking forward to so much, when they happen, we feel anger. That's the exact right response to feel. That's what we're meant to feel. Uh, and so, so when you experience anger, then the, the person or the scenario, we perceive them as an enemy. So that, again, means we have to do some business around that. Um, because for two reasons. One... Are they, in fact, our enemy? Is that true? Is that complete information? Is this person actually our fundamental enemy? Uh, have, they, have they blocked the thing that we really wanted or didn't want? Maybe. Maybe they are the enemy of what we perceive to be our destiny. But we need to enrich the picture to understand if they are, in fact, uh, really opposed to us, if they have a murderous spirit and they're trying, actually, to hinder us period, in all things. Because most of the time, most people aren't. Really toxic people in your life may be trying to do exactly that. That's kind of a separate conversation. But most of the time, we're just dealing with people who are acting out of their own anger and frustration and their own unprocessed emotions, and they're trying to figure out, and they're afraid because what they wanted to happen didn't happen, or what they didn't want to happen did happen. The second thing is that Jesus encourages us to love our enemies. So we have to deal really gently with our anger. But anger is a really good thing. I mean, anger ultimately uh, protects. That's how it's meant to work. 
Now, if you're sitting there going, yeah, well, my father's anger never protected me or, or, my, or I had an abusive spouse, that's real. And I'm really, really sorry that that was your experience of, of an emotion that God intended for protection and advocacy. Uh, let's take a little look at, at Mark chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. It's a beautiful story. Mark 3, verse 1 to 6. Or you can just Google Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. I love how Jesus gets ready. <laughs> then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. You see what's happening there? The anger of God is an advocate. It's a huge deal. That God gave you anger in order to advocate for others, for yourself, to establish boundaries, to say this far and no further. When you hear about child sexual abuse, when you hear about sex trafficking, when you hear about economic exploitation, you should get angry. Those are wrong. They grieve the heart of God and they, they destroy life. Anger is the good and appropriate reaction to things like that. Of course, the challenge is when I'm wanting to watch TV and my children are not going to bed, they have blocked me, and my plans for my evening have been violated, and thus anger is also the emotion I feel as a response, and I feel like my children are my enemy. So I need to slow down. I need to breathe. I need to let that left side of the brain come back online, and I need to say, okay, are these people my enemy? No. They're my children, and they're just being children. They just want to be with me. So I get to choose. We'll talk more about, about how to deal with the emotions in just a minute, but I wanted to give you some context. I'd like to give a shout out to my Patreon supporters. Thank you to all of you who give each month, uh, who underwrite the work that I do here on the podcast, on social media, my website, and elsewhere. You guys make this, this possible for me and for my family. Also, a couple of you have increased your support in the last few days in response to COVID-19, and you don't know how much that means to me. Uh, our, our costs have, have increased, and I, I imagine I'll have some supporters who need to drop out, yeah, given their own financial issues. And uh, of course, <laughs> that is that's, people need to do what they need to do. But to those of you who've actually increased your support, I was blessed and surprised. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, to all of you, whether you share, whether you listen, whether you uh, give each month, whatever your situation is, thank you for being part of the team. God bless you guys. Back to the show. And sadness. This is, this is, oh, this is the one I love the most. Um, sadness is the most incredible emotion. Sadness 
is what we feel when we lose something that matters to us. Sadness reveals our values. That's what it does. It means that we've loved. It means that we've lived. It means that we've engaged life with our heart. To not feel sadness is a really disturbing indicator about the kind of life you've lived. Uh, I, I say that in all compassion and love, not in judgment. I, I totally understand why you would want to numb and shut down sadness. It is not a pleasant feeling because there's nothing you can do. And emotion, again, the point of emotion is to move us to action, to help us respond to circumstances around us. And when you feel sad, you've lost something, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's devastating. Just as half the problem is not just the, not just the loss, but your inability to do anything about the loss. It's crippling. It's devastating. It feels like a prison. I get it. It's horrible. But what it means is that you've loved. It means you've looked forward to something. It means you've allowed your heart to embrace the world around you and for things to matter to you. And that, surely that is how God gave us life to live, to engage life, to experience it, to fall in love. I mean, uh, God himself must experience the most profound sadness most of the time, right? Like, let's just be honest. I mean, the story that, that obviously so many of us go to when we look at sadness is, is Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. You know, it's the shortest verse in scripture. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. You know, Lazarus is one of Jesus' best friends. The, the history looks like whenever Jesus comes to Bethany, which is quite often, he stays probably in the house of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. So this is one of his close friends. Now, Jesus knows that Lazarus' story won't end in death. But the others don't know that. And they're experiencing real pain and real sorrow. And Jesus enters into that sorrow with them in compassion, and he weeps. If God feels everything that we feel and loves all of us, then the deep wells of sadness God must feel is, is truly immense. And as I have come to um, embrace the sadness in my life, I've come to experience it, it as the most beautiful gift, um, the most beautiful, nuanced thing. It's like a gourmet, you know, five-course meal with all these different stages and phases that I get don't feel good, and it wouldn't be the most favorite of meals to eat. But it is quite remarkable in, in what it reveals about us and about our values and about our, our, our loves. Uh, and here's the major, major, major thing. If you don't want to feel sadness, you won't feel your other emotions either. You cannot selectively shut your emotions down. It is one language, and they all are interconnected. And so if you want to feel more joy, you've got to speak the language of joy, which is the same language as anger, which is the same language as sadness. Uh, 
you've got to embrace it all. And I know that's scary. I know that there are really good reasons in your life why you haven't done that. Uh, you know, our emotions can feel overwhelming. They can lead us into panic. Uh, I get it. But there are ways that you can take back control. That's the ultimate thing, is that uh, many of us shut down our emotions in order to feel a sense of control, because we feel like we're out of control. But actually, when you embrace your emotions and feel them and learn from them, the end result is freedom. You're not being driven by the immature, incomplete dictates of a childish brain. You are free to choose with the fullness of your brain, the image of God in you online, and you get to choose. So if for no other reason, learn to master your emotions so that you can have more freedom. And when I say master, I don't mean white-knuckle control. I mean gentle, tender listening to those painful parts of yourself and then choosing what you do with what you learn. So let's talk about that process. That's the last piece. What do we do? What do we do with our emotions? Great, great, Jonathan. Sadness is wonderful, according to you. What do I do with it? Um... Well, emotions, again, what, what, what do we, why, why do we have them? They're information about our circumstances and about our heart. Uh, and they move us towards action. So, emotions fundamentally bring to mind important information about our inner world and our circumstances. Uh, my friend Mark Shelsky says emotions are like the check engine light on your car. They can mean all kinds of different things, right? When that light comes on in your car usually it just means that you turned your gas cap too far. Um, and so it's telling you that there's a problem. But that check engine light can also mean that your timing belt has failed and like you're about, like your engine's about to totally seize and, and never be useful again. Your emotions cover a whole broad spectrum, but they are like the check engine light. If you ignore that check engine light, eventually bigger problems will will surface. Uh, and you can fake it for a long time, right? Like, we, we, we know. Like, we've watched our parents or other generations uh, suppress those emotions for decades. But you get to a point in life where it doesn't work anymore, where you don't have the emotional mental faculties to suppress, and it takes a toll. You end up in depression and anxiety. Uh, it manifests physically in your body. Uh, all kinds of illnesses, I, I believe, have the, at, at their root the suppression of, of emotion. Again, there's reasons that we choose to suppress our emotions, and it's worth listening to those reasons and honoring why in the past that seemed necessary. Don't beat yourself up, but do keep moving forward. So, emotions are like the check engine light on your car. They are going to bring information to you that's important about your inner world and about your circumstances. So the first thing you need to do with your emotions is just feel them. Just feel them. I know that seems too simple. Because I, I know, like, we're like, don't listen to your emotions. Don't trust your heart. It's going to, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. We have all these scriptures about why we shouldn't listen to our, our heart, but they're all taken drastically out of context. Um, there's this beautiful piece in Job where God says, you know, who is it, Job, that put wisdom in the heart? 
there's a, there's a psalm, I forget where it is, but, it, but, it, but the psalmist says, even at night my heart instructs me. How about that? So the first thing we need to do with our emotions is just feel them. Be present to them. Listen to them. Hold space. Just hit pause. No, it's not fun. I see your comment there, Aaron. It's not fun. But trust me, it's worth doing. You know, I get it. We numb with entertainment, with social media, with alcohol, plenty of people. You know, I mean, I've, I've had periods of my life where it's been pornography that I've used to numb my emotions. I get it. There's all kinds of reasons we don't want to feel those things. But we will remain immature. We will remain trapped. We will remain controlled, essentially, by an immature child. And we can never be spiritually healthy without being emotionally healthy. So we need to feel, first of all. We need to pay attention to our emotion. Now, if you've spent a lot of your life uh, not feeling your emotions, then it can be hard to, to start that, right? I get that. Especially if you're a guy, you maybe you're from an older generation as well, where it's like men have been raised to be stoic, uh, or women as well. So one of the, the best ways to start feeling your emotions and paying attention is to listen to your body. What am I feeling in my body right now? Where, where am I feeling things in my body right now? Are my shoulders tight? Is my belly churning? Is my, my forehead pursed? Is my, my butt clenched? Like, pay attention to your body. And then you can start to articulate what's happening. Okay? Uh, I feel churned up inside. I feel churned up inside. I don't know why. I don't know what that means. But that's, but that's, what, that's where I'm going to start. I feel churned up. Or I feel like my shoulders are tight. That's where I'm going to start. Then you can start, as, once you start there, you can start giving more language to your emotions. Like I said earlier, anger is what we feel when we've been violated or blocked. Sadness is what we feel when we lose something. Uh, people, have, people have put the work in to define all of, all of the emotions. Uh, Brene Brown has a list of something like 40 emotions that you can, that you can Google. Brene Brown list of emotions. Uh, there's also a list of eight I think eight core emotions, anger, uh, fear, sadness, disgust, um, joy. So just learning the words that describe emotions will help you figure out what you're feeling. Uh, so once you begin to articulate what you're feeling, then you can start to get curious. Then you can start to look at your story and go, what's happening here? What is being triggered in me right now. I just heard the garage door open and and I feel my back get up. Okay? I, I, my, my shoulders are tight. I'm starting to feel um, nervousness. Okay? Uh, and maybe a bit of anxiety and maybe a bit of fear. Okay? Why might that be? Well, Maybe because the garage door opening means someone's coming home from work. And maybe in the past that meant um, I wasn't safe. Maybe when, some, when dad came home from work or mom came home from work or whomever, peace left our home. And so maybe there's a part of me 
that is tapping into that fear. Okay? What do I do now? I get to choose. I don't have to react out of the dictates of the primitive emotion. Who's just come home? What does the garage door actually mean? My wife came home. Is my wife my enemy? No. Is my wife a threat? No. Maybe there's been times where, you know, we've been unkind to each other. But she's not fundamentally an enemy or a threat, so I get to choose. So I'm going to breathe. And I'm going to help my body relax. And I might even say, Jonathan, there were times in your life where that garage door meant something dangerous. But it doesn't mean that today. So I get to choose to go and lovingly embrace that person who's coming home. I'm not going to already have my body language out of whack. When they come in the door, because that's the crazy thing, is that our emotions with one another are so cyclical. We feed off one another's emotions immensely. And so that person's going to come home, and you're going to be tense, and you're going to ignore them because you're already scared. And they're going to come in, and they'll be like, wow, they didn't even come and say hi to me. Wow. And then they're going to be passive-aggressive with you. And then you're already going to be reacting out of that. And, and you, it just escalates and escalates and escalates. But you're allowed to choose. You're allowed to decide what action comes next. So I say categorically, listen to your heart. Listen to your emotions. But don't act on them. Don't do what they say. Because they're childish. They're prim they're, they're, they don't have all the information. Uh, but understand that f their truth is, is their version of the truth. They, they, those emotions are all true as far as they're aware because they're just feeding you critical information about your circumstances and about your heart, about your values, about your expectations. So you have to listen to them. Next time someone says to you, your emotions are lying, your feelings are lying, don't listen to them. Understand that that is, that is, is probably coming from a really good intent because they don't want you to go and follow actions that are not great, right? Like, if we'd all followed uh, everything we wanted to do every time we felt joyous, wow, uh, <laughs> there'd be all kinds of terrible things. Uh, I mean, if, if I had followed the actions that felt necessary every time I felt hopeless, I would have died by suicide. If I had followed the actions that felt sensible every time I'm overwhelmed with joy and happiness, I <laughs> would have done all kinds of stupid things. But... Uh, our emotions tell us all about the things that we need to learn. So uh, we get to choose. We get to be free. We get to decide what we do with next. So let's, uh, let's do some ministry. Let's tune in. And again, as I said at the beginning, if you want to dig deeper into this stuff, the book I recommend is called The Wisdom of Your Heart by Mark Allen Shelsky. Um, changed my life. This is written by a guy who kind of grew up in that stoic, why emotions just derail my plans, and so I'm going to shut them down. Emotions don't help me perform perfectly. He was a pastor and uh, was just kind of like really focused on performing perfectly. And for his, in his framework, emotions were a hassle. They got in the way. And so he shut it all down until his life exploded and he almost lost his marriage and he had to learn. So if you want to learn from a guy who had to figure it all out because he almost lost everything, 
Highly recommend that book, The Wisdom of Your Heart. Anyway, let's do some ministry. Hmm. I want you to put your hand on your heart, and I want you to sit in, uh, just try to get a bit comfortable, neutral kind of body pose. And I want you to breathe in your nose. Why? Because breathing in your mouth actually activates your amygdala. You get far more oxygen in your mouth. So if you're going to run away from a bear, breathing through your mouth is great. But breathing through your nose helps relax that part of your brain that pushes you and that starts this whole emotional process. Breathe in your nose and, and out your, your mouth or your nose and you start to feel that peace come on you. I want to say, Jesus, thank you for giving me emotions. Thank you for giving me the tools necessary to protect myself because I'm wonderful. You love me. I'm worth protecting. I'm worth making really good decisions about. And you gave me everything I need to do that. Thank you. Jesus, I need your guidance and your wisdom to understand my emotions. And I know that you, God, experience emotions too. Now the Holy Spirit is always with you. It's all around you. Scripture says that God himself holds all of creation together. So whether you're aware of God's presence or not, he's all around you. He's inside you. He's on you. Jesus on the cross, experiencing the most agony that we can deal with, didn't go offline. Jesus on the cross still cared for his mother. That's incredible to me. It doesn't take much for me to go offline, for me to start freaking out and not live out of the fullness of who I am. So Jesus, we need you. We need your capacity so that we can endure hard things and stay present to them. We need your capacity so that we can face sadness with honesty and feel our way through to the other side. We need your wisdom so that we can see anger as a good and healthy advocate and treat it and use it responsibly.
Jesus, we need your peace to not be driven by fear. That in these crazy times, we would have peace. Now, if you want to go a step further, I'll give you one more exercise. Um, if you're happy, you feel good, you got some notes, then God bless you. <laughs> Get out of here. But if you want to go one step deeper and aren't afraid of trying something a little more out there, then what I would invite you to do is close your eyes and imagine, picture yourself as a five-year-old child or a six-year-old. What did you look like when you were five or six? Picture that little child right now and, and consider that that little version of you holds all of your emotions, all of the pain that you've ever experienced, that little child holds. All of the joy you've ever experienced, that little child holds. What does that little child need to hear from you today? What commitment do you need to make to that little child inside of you? Maybe you could just lean into Jesus and the Holy Spirit and ask Jesus, what would you have me say to the part of me where my emotions live? Maybe I'm sorry for ignoring you. I'm sorry for thinking that I could function without you. Or maybe I'm sorry for putting you in control. I'm sorry for asking you to make all the decisions. I'm sorry for letting you be in charge when it was more than you knew how to do wisely. I want to learn from you. I want to receive what you have for me. I want to care for you. And I want you to be in your proper place where you're safe, where you're cared for, where you're honored, where you're believed, but not where you're in charge of things that are bigger than you. Hmm. Now, if you make some of those commitments to your heart, you probably should follow through on them. So, uh, so remember that process. You want to just feel your emotions. Tune into them. Feel them. Articulate them. Give language to them. Get, get curious about them. What's the broader picture? What's the whole story? What is this emotion trying to tell me right now? Move past the content to the deeper story. And then you get to make uh, some decisions about what you're going to do next. And, and what does love look like? in this circumstance? What does it look like to love 
and make a loving choice to embody the life of God? And, and what issues in my heart is God inviting me to become aware of? You know, where, where are there, you know, what, what is that scripture? You know, search me and know me. Find any wicked way, any unclean way in me, Lord. Uh, our emotions are an incredible gift to do just that, to search our hearts, to, to know us and to lift it up to the Lord. Grace and peace to you. May you feel and know the presence of God in these days uh, even more precious than you normally would know. And may you come to grow healthier in your emotions that all of your life would blossom to a higher degree. Much love to you all. Check out the show notes for a link to Mark Allen Shelsky's book, The Wisdom of Your Heart, Discovering the God-Given Purpose and Power of Your Emotions, as well as links to Brene Brown's list of emotions and some other emotional resources. Friends, I know this is hard, but this can also be good. It's okay to feel depressed. It's also okay to enjoy uh, not so many social obligations. It's okay to feel overwhelmed by your children. It's also okay to enjoy them and have fun and, you know, play board games and watch TV and play video games. I know there's a whole lot of stuff that have been thrown into the mix in our hearts here. I feel it. It's real. Uh, We can get through this together. We can. There are tools uh, that we can adopt. That means the last two, your experience of the last two weeks doesn't have to be your experience of the next two weeks or the next two days or the next two months so dig in dig deep keep tuning into god keep tuning into yourself be present for those around you and reach out seriously drop me a line find me on social media dm me uh, comment on a post let me know how i can serve you best love you guys we're in this together we're gonna make it